Back to Do We Like Movies. Uh, my name is Angel, and I am Inevitable. Now nah, I'm Javi. How are you guys doing today? <laughs> and uh, this is the first of two episodes that we're actually doing this week. Um, Woo! Because we love putting out content for you guys. <laughs> uh, we figured, obviously, the biggest movie of maybe even the year. Um, you know, besides episode nine of star wars is was going to be marvel's uh avengers endgame so we knew there was no way that it was going to go by without us doing an episode on it so yeah we're not pandering you guys are pandering (laughs) um okay before we get started i have to put a disclaimer out there because i'm probably going to say some stuff that's a little controversial and uh Mm -hmm. if you were the kind of person that is literally coming to a review of a Marvel movie expecting someone to reaffirm every single belief that you have of it. That's not the way reviews work. And I know that comic book fans can be particularly aggressive about, like, you know, not liking things if you don't have the same opinion as them. So just understand, I am going to say stuff that you're probably not going to like. But, you know, I hope to say it in a way that's at least entertaining enough that I won't turn off most of our fan base here i mean that's why the the show is called do we like movies is because sometimes it's okay not to like the same things as uh you know everybody else i mean even on the few episodes that angel and i put out there's a lot of movies we haven't agreed on you know to tokyo drift being one of the first ones i can think of the room we didn't agree on and so angel has poo-pooed over marvel for years and years and years so remember if you're going to hate somebody, hate him. But, you know, I think it's really important to kind of keep these movies honest and keep these filmmakers honest. I mean, you can't sit there and love everything they do. Absolutely not, you know. And, um, and of course, like, as someone who's been more on the DC side of things, also that, you know, I'm a person that's very realistic about where things are. We need to be very clear. Marvel is the studio that has successfully pulled this off. DC has not, and the biggest disaster that has been for that, you know, for the DC movie side of things is that they've tried doing Marvel, like, so hard without really understanding what it is that Marvel's done that, you know, that is so successful, so... Um, you can't beat the Patriots by copying the Patriots the same way DC will never be able to beat Marvel when it comes to the extended cinematic universe. Like, you just can't fuck with Marvel on that front. Like, Marvel's been doing this for 10-plus years, you know, and this this movie is the ultimate culmination of, you know, when you have directors and you have writers and producers and you have a team that has an overarching vision and has complete creative control over these characters and these properties, you know? So it's like, unfortunately, yeah, and it's, I don't think it should be any, any surprise to any longtime listeners or people that know us. Like Angel and I are huge DC fanboys. Uh, Myself, I kind of jump around between Marvel and DC, but I'm still pretty DC heavy. 
But, I mean, it's safe to say, and I can say this as a DC fan, is that Marvel has cornered the market as far as superhero movies go. And, you know, they're kind of the gold standard. And it's hard not... I mean, it's hard, it's hard to dispute that, especially with the last 10 years of movies and the last 10 years of production that's come out, you know? Let's also take a moment to appreciate the fact that last year, you know, that for 2018, Marvel's Black Panther is now officially the first superhero movie that's been nominated for the Academy Award for Best Picture. Woo! Um, that's all for you, nerds! We finally did it! <laughs> that said, I, here's the first controversial opinion that I'm going to have on this, and that's Marvel has discovered the formula that works for their universe, and it's awesome. Like, to go to a movie and watch it, you know, uh, to enjoy the characters kind of having fun on screen. It's a lot, it's not, not, I don't want to say campy. It's just, there's a lot of lighthearted, like humor that takes place in their films. And, you know, they've successfully transitioned the kind of style of storytelling that is most commonly found on television series into the big screen, which needs to be applauded and recognized. That's. I think, uh, I'm that, sorry. Like, I just wanted to cut in real quick and and pretty much just agree with you, <laughs> because I believe Joss Whedon was the director of the first Avengers movie, right? Correct. I'm look- So yeah, like like you were saying, like who better to you know bring that feel of a television and kind of lighthearted like TV show to a movie franchise? Than the guy who made a career out of making lighthearted, fun, but like riveting television series, you know, then who better yet than Joss Whedon? And I think ever since that, or ever since he took a, took the helm for Avengers, it just kind of built on upon itself pretty Josh, much. Joss Whedon deserves credit for that, but I also think that the studio itself deserves probably even more credit than that. Because let's not mm-hmm. forget, Joss Whedon picked up and took over and finished Justice League. And <laughs> for as much as I... Look, I like Justice League, and I will still watch it and be a defender of it. I don't think it's of the same quality of what we're talking about this week. It's not anywhere near the same quality as what we're talking about. Um, but it's just not the same thing, and it's and it's not successful. And, I, and, you know, and some of the same creative force that created the original Avengers movie, which, you know, has long been my, has long been like probably my favorite Avengers film of all of Mm -hmm. them that has, that have come out. Um, you know, I, I think, I think it really is something that the studio deserves a lot of credit for in terms of, instead of the filmmaker. Um, Ryan Coogler's Black Panther is an excellent movie. I think it's got a lot of depth to it. Uh, his, you know, um, his villain in Killmonger that came out last year was probably one of the better uh, Marvel villains that they've ever had since Loki from the original Avengers movie. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, again, I is for as good as Marvel has done things, I am not buying the notion that outside of Black Panther, which did deserve it on merit, I just don't see any other movie in this series, including the movie we're talking about this week, being an an Oscar-worthy best picture. 
And I, Ooh. yeah, I know, I know. And um, I, I just, it's, and, and, I'll, and I'll, this is where I will pit it up against a DC film. To me, I think the gold standard of comic book movies is and will forever be until I see something that really blows me off my feet, Dark Knight. Dark Knight mm-hmm. is it. And it's pre-DCEU, it is pre-Marvel Universe. Like, even though Iron Man came out the same summer, it's it's two movies that people were looking at comparatively because they were, you know, t- the two big comic book, like, imprints uh, that were finally bringing, you know, heroes to the big screen and all that kind of stuff. And it's just, it's it's not the same. It's not of the same quality. And that's and that's for DC as well, right? Like DC will may God, unfortunately, DC may never touch that again. That kind of uh, just movie excellence that they reached with Dark Knight. Um, it, it was kind of a movie that transcended the genre that it was in, and I don't know if we'll ever get that again. But you mm-hmm. know, and this is in the controversy here for me comes one of the things I hated out of coming out of infinity war was people swearing to me up and down that thanos was a super deep villain and that that movie deserved consideration for an oscar over black panther and i'm gonna just get on record here and i'm gonna get on record here saying that's bullshit i would not consider Infinity War anywhere near that. In fact, Infinity War might be one of my least favorite movies in the MCU. Wow! You're coming in with some spicy hot takes there. <laughs> but you know what's funny is I agree with you to... It took me a while, but I agree with you on the whole Thanos. Um, Thanos as a deep villain. And that's because... And I remember I was on Facebook one day. This was maybe three months after watching uh, Infinity War. And someone, uh, like a page I follow, they were talking about, if the, you know, they were talking about like the, the plot, like the biggest plot hole in Infinity War, which is, you know, if you have the Infinity Gauntlet, why would you, you know, decimate the population when you can just double the resources? And I was like, wow, he's a fucking moron. <laughs> I was like, like it's immediately was like, damn, maybe Thanos is just an idiot. <laughs> maybe I'm an idiot because I didn't think of that earlier, but, like, maybe Thanos is super an idiot, and suddenly he becomes much less of a compelling villain, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, of course, physically, he's, like, he bodied the Hulk in, in Infinity War. Like, he is still a very dominant force, and he is somebody that you shouldn't be messed with, but once you, like, destroy the logic in his, you know, ideology, you're like, holy shit, this guy is not nearly as compelling of a villain. He's not nearly as as good of a villain as you know a- any other character in the in the MCU. You know, and I think like you were saying, Loki, you know, Loki was a much more compelling villain. I felt like. Uh, who else did you mention? You mentioned Killmonger. Killmonger. Like, yeah, Killmonger being and, an amazing and villain. And I've gone back and rewatched Black Panther around the time that it was nominated for an Oscar. Oh my god. The scene where Killmonger is like dying at the end. like, And he goes into that, you know, kind of like monologue 
to T'Challa where he talks about how, you know, after he's dead, instead of being, you know, he, he'd rather just be buried at sea so that he could join, like, you know, the souls of the, of the, of the African slaves who were brought over on ships who decided mm-hmm. that they'd rather jump into the ocean than to, than to live a life of servitude, right? Like, it's, it's that mm-hmm. kind of stuff is just, God, it's like, that is real depth. That is yeah. depth, and and that is really impressive to me or, in terms of like just narrative filmmaking storytelling. You know who to this day, like, and it sucks because he happened to be the villain in the shitty Avengers movie. To this day, one of my favorite villains in the MCU is actually Ultron, and that's because like I, I we're not we're not here to talk about Age of Ultron or the problems with Age of Ultron, but I honestly <laughs> do think that one of the highlights of that film was Ultron, and that's because of the fact that he he was a villain that thought he was right, even though he knew what he was doing was wrong. You know what I'm saying? And it, it adds that whole complexity to the character. Same thing with Killmonger. Killmonger, I mean, he's fighting for a righteous cause, doing it the wrong way. And then you get to Thanos, and then Thanos' motivation is just, yeah, like he wants to bring into balance, but he wants to do it the stupid way. And mind you, like, it, it makes it, the, the motivation kind of sullies the character in Infinity War mm-hmm. when they could have just done, they could have just done what what he, well, they wouldn't, they wouldn't do what he would have done in Infinity Gauntlet because the whole reason he wants to do this because he's trying to like, trying to get, get his, uh, get his pee-pee played with by death. Like, that's, <laughs> like you laugh, but that's like, that's Thanos' thing is he loves death. So he wants to like convince death that, that they should do it, and so he like destroys half the universe because of it, and that's canon. That is totally canon. <laughs> so he's very, uh, you know, tips his fedora at death, and like, you know, my lady, and uh, and that's the whole motivation. Like, I would have been, I actually would have preferred if he's just obsessed with death and just wants to see things die. But then he's, you know, he doesn't even get that in Infinity War. So, I mean, granted, like. And we're also not here to rail on Infinity War. <laughs> well, you are. You're here to rail on Infinity No. War. <laughs> no, I was just here to give my opinion on it very quickly. Okay. Now, yeah. before before people turn this off in mass and start to think that this is just us, us going to be shitting on Avengers and Marvel for an entire episode, I want us it's to try – I want us to do something here. Okay. I'm going to do it – I guess I'll do it first, and then and then you can go. I want okay. us to both say what our favorite MCU film is and why, and uh, our favorite Avengers film is and why. So my okay. favorite film in the MCU, Iron Man. It's First still, Iron Man? Uh, yeah, it's it, it's still one of the best, and uh, I'd say the only one that probably rivals it in terms of the best Marvel film and is Black Panther. Like, solo superhero film, non-Avengers movie. Non-team-up, non-Captain America Civil War. Like, just single hero movie. It is Iron Man and then uh, Black Panther. And Iron Man is is it's still the best, right? Like, it, it, you had the storyline of Tony... Like, introducing yourself to Tony Stark. Um, it was the big, great comeback for Robert Downey Jr., who... God bless mm-hmm. him. It's like, you know, he's a guy who's who I've loved watching in those Brad Pack like teenage eighties, like, you know, uh teen movies. And he was he was 
he's basically kind of like what Tom Holland is becoming now, right? Like, especially mm-hmm. if you watch Homecoming, it just it totally feels like, you know, uh, Robert Downey Jr. passing the teen movie heartthrob baton like over maybe a couple decades late. But you know, it's 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 awesome to see the fact that he had such a late career renaissance uh, when he took on the role of Iron Man, and just like that movie is really good, despite the fact that the the, the villain is not great in that film. He was really awesome in it, and um, mm-hmm. and he and you know the whole story of him being stuck in Afghanistan and having to create his first version of the suit, and just the, the just like the drama around, like surrounding that film is so perfect, and it's one of those things that's so pure at the time that it came out that I just there's very few movies in in the entire Marvel studio that can rival it for me. Uh, my favorite Avengers movie is Avengers the original, right? The Joss Whedon film. Mm-hmm. I thought it was such an awesome, perfect movie that basically gave moments to everyone who was coming in. Um, Marvel has had their early hits, which I look at as Iron Man and Captain America, as two of the really strong, like early first phase like Marvel films. And they also had early misses, and those early messes were Thor and the Incredible Hulk. Which oh, itself... I'm going to fight you so hard because I love the Incredible Hulk. I am not. I liked it when I saw it in 2008. But once I saw Mark Ruffalo take over the role um, from Ed Norton and just how well they just did Hulk in Avengers, I don't need to go back and see Incredible Hulk much ever again. Mm-hmm. And um, and I also just really love it because one of my just awesome, like one of my favorite movies to watch. Period is Zodiac, the David Fincher movie. Yeah. And there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of interaction in that movie between Robert Downey Jr. and Mark <laughs> Ruffalo. So it was a nice yeah, like it was like a nice primer for the really great relationship that they've had in these Marvel movies since. Because Ruffalo is the cop, I forgot what his name is, but he's the cop investigating uh, Zodiac, and then RDJ is the, uh, he's like the reporter covering the Zodiac murders, right, for the San Francisco Chronicle. I need to go back and watch that movie. I don't, I don't. I think I've never seen it completely. Oh, we we are going to watch it for this podcast at some point in the future. Right, there's just no. I mean, we kind of have to. We're from the Bay Area. Like we. <laughs> oh, I've seen this. I've seen that movie that. countless amount of times, and I own it. Like I have no yeah. problem doing it for a show one day. All right, so now I have to ask you, what's mm. your favorite MCU film? My favorite MCU film, and I also had to go back to Phase One, uh, has to be Captain America: The First Avenger. And the reason why is one, Chris Evans is Cap. You know. This movie came out in 2011, and all through high school and going into college, that's really when I started getting into, like, Captain America. Well, you know, just kind of Marvel Comics, but Captain America specifically, he was always the one that stood out to me. Um, because, like, it's it was such an interesting concept to have a propaganda machine. Like, you have a living propaganda machine in front of you. And the thing is that... Cap was supposed to be, like, the soul of the Avengers, right? He he couldn't 
you know, punch a planet in half. He couldn't shoot lasers out of his ass. You know, he couldn't fly or do anything crazy. Like, for all intents and purposes, he is the most normal of the bunch. I mean, aside from, like, you know, Black Widow and, and Hawkeye later on. But, like, he's still able to, like, stand against all these great giants in the in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? But specifically in that movie, you get to see the origins and you get to see everything. And, and it's like they capture that, how do I put it, that nostalgia for something I never felt. They capture that zeitgeist of what it was when Captain America was first out on the stands, you know? And I felt like they captured his origin story well. And, I mean, everyone in it was great from the, you know, from, uh, oh, my God, why am I blanking on her name? You know, oh, Peggy, <laughs> Peggy Carter. Uh, and, you know, they had, like, great chemistry. And it was just, you know, top to bottom, it was a fun movie. It was a fun action, like, war movie, right? Fun uh, side note, that movie is directed by Joe Johnston, who mm-hmm. you must love because he also directed Jurassic Park 3, which we reviewed before. Oh, fuck yeah, he did! I do, I love this movie for a reason. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it was just, it was, it was a really good film. I know of Phase 1, a lot of people really liked Iron Man, and everyone kind of forgets about Captain America because the Avengers came out. I think the the following year and that was the one that kind of stole the show for marvel right it was like their runaway hit uh but yeah captain america first avenger will always have a soft spot in my heart and i'm gonna cheat because t- i don't know would you consider captain america civil war a Mar- an avengers movie or a captain america movie i consider it an avengers movie it really does feel like avengers 2.5 they should have just called it either Marvel Civil War or Avengers Civil War, in my opinion. <laughs> right. Like, despite the like, fact that Captain America Civil War was, you know, it was advertised as a Captain America movie, a lot of the important... De- like, the, the movie was built around the arrival of Spider-Man and Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Not and Captain it America. Just... So it, it, yeah. it is... And it was also directed by the Russo brothers, who have done... You know, the last, I will call them, three Avengers movies. And it was, um, the thing about Captain America, like, uh, Civil War, I mean, it was a Captain America story, but it wasn't a Captain America movie, if that makes sense. You know, like, it, even though it, technically it's his name on the on the marquee, like, it, like you said, it was definitely a vehicle of you know, introducing these new characters, kind of, like, establishing everyone in in their place in this world. And most importantly, it created the schism, like, in the, in the Marvel Universe, you know? Uh, Civil War is, to this day, one of the biggest Marvel events to, to ever take place. And, the, to, like, even now, I want to say the, the, seri- the, the miniseries ended, like, back in 2004, 2005. Like, 14 years later, there is still, like, ramifications from that crossover event that's still being felt to this day in the Marvel Universe, like, between, you know, all the writers and the folklore and stuff. And it's, like, to be able to see that play out on the big screen, like, yeah, as cool as, 
as cool as the the airport fight scene, which you had to wait entirely too long for it to finally happen, as cool as that was, what I really loved about Civil War was the the build up to that confrontation. When you start seeing that friction between Captain America and Iron Man, and you start seeing those ideological differences between these guys, and it really makes you hate Iron Man. You know, it you you this movie does a really good job. But then at, at the same time, you hate Iron Man. But before you know the the carriage goes flying off the off the cliff, it really reins it in, and it reminds you that Iron Man can't you know still is a sympathetic character. You know, and you know. That, Kudos to both uh, RDJ and um, Chris Evans. They're just phenomenal actors, and I felt like they captured both of those characters very well. So, yeah, definitely my favorite Avengers movie has to be Civil War. Now, what kind of what kind of crowd did you have in the movie theater when you saw this? Like, was I... it mostly older people, teenagers? Um did your did your crowd applaud at things like you know like what no. was your what was your experience in the theater? My experience, I mean, it fits perfectly for me. But my crowd was so I watched this in a re- very relatively small theater. It was one of those uh, theaters that has like the reclining chairs and stuff. So like, it's like maybe 30, 40 seats tops. Like it was a very small theater. For the most part, I went right after work. This is the first time I actually went to watch a movie by myself. So it was actually interesting to kind of take in the whole experience, especially not watching with a group of friends. Um, it was a lot of folks, a lot like myself, maybe right after work going together. There wasn't much plotting. There wasn't much clapping. There was, like, laughter. Definitely an older crowd. It was, like, I want to say like people in their late 20s to like early 60s but there was like one group of high school kids where one dude came dressed up as like spider-man and i'm not talking about like a spider-man t-shirt like this kid came in like uh like spandex spider outfit (laughs) like he cosplayed spider-man to come watch the movie um and you know i kind of wish that kid went to another movie theater so he can like definitely enjoy that a little bit more like enjoy that whole experience but i hope that kid wherever that kid is i hope he had fun and he enjoyed the movie anyway uh it was a little bizarre because i'm so used to be going to marvel movies where people are fucking like cheering every five goddamn minutes um but i was okay with it like i really let me enjoy the movie and it let me take a lot more of it in uh, me personally, and I was talking to I was talking to Jose about this. Uh, Jose, who our astute uh, listeners will remember from the end of the Spider Verse uh, review, um, you know he he's the kind of guy that like feeds off uh, crowd reactions. Me personally, I'm like I paid a lot of money to come watch this movie. I'm not here to listen to some other assholes cheer. I'm like, I just want to watch the movie. <laughs> so it worked out for me, but you know there's sometimes where like the, the a film when a film can warrant an actual like emotional response or an emotional release it's pretty awesome too cuz this movie definitely had scenes like that warranted that cheer you know uh but yeah like the energy was very low compared to other marvel movies i've gone to you and i had absolutely similar experiences uh to this i watched this on a tuesday night basically last night uh before we're mm-hmm. recording this um and it was again like you of small theater and 
barely any reactions to anything. And I really appreciated that so much. I know that there are certain situations, lots of situations, where I do like watching like event movies in a theater where people are excited and stuff like that. It's just the weird thing with this movie was, again, because I think in, because Infinity War burned me so much, the hype around this movie was just absolutely getting on my nerves. And I could not stand any of it. And I guarantee you that if I was in a movie theater where, like, I had to deal with everybody just clapping over, like, everything. Because Infinity War, it's just, like, a character would show up every five minutes. And that's when, like, people would just start applauding and cheering. And I'm like, no, like... <laughs> <laughs> this doesn't all, like, this doesn't warrant this response like every single time. Like, calm down. It's Rocket Raccoon, yeah! <laughs> and it's like there's 32 other main characters in this movie. Please don't do this for all of them. And you know, the same. It's like it's not a lot of applause. Like I was able to enjoy the movie and watch it, and I, I'm kind of ready to get into it now um yeah. before before we really kind of get into uh end game i want to say that my experience and approach my approach to this review is not going to be like if i was reviewing a movie so i, I don't want to do this the same way we did our batman begins episode because i think that's the last comic book film that we did um I approach this more like a finale of a television series like i said yeah. marvel has really like They've done a fantastic job at serializing all of their superhero adventures and making it feel like a series. And I think more importantly, like I'm not obviously I'm not the only one who's going through this right now, but this is hap- coming out in conjunction like with the with the ongoing final series of Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. which is I will give Endgame a lot of credit because this is where I'll say I really enjoyed this movie. I enjoyed it a mm-hmm. lot. I enjoyed it way more than I was expecting to. And I think mm-hmm. one of the things that really just made it so good for me was the fact that they were delivering satisfying moments to end mm-hmm. a series just like you know something like Game of Thrones is doing right now. Like Game of Thrones is rewarding the people who have been watching that series for eight seasons with some of the decisions that they're making in their writing. <laughs> and I feel like there's Marvel a, is is very much doing that same thing right now. There's come come to think of it, there's a lot of finality this year, huh? Because Endgame is the end of the Infinity Saga, and the Russo brothers is directing of the Marvel movies. You got Game of Thrones ending this year. You got Gotham, which you're turned you around. Suddenly, you're the biggest Gotham fan I know. Um, <laughs> I don't want to over I don't want to oversell how big a fan I am of that show. But I nah, will say like, this. I will say this. Bruce, don't I, I, <laughs> I definitely enjoyed the the finale that they did, and and you know what's really funny too? Like, there's a besides the Gotham thing that I just watched last week as well. Um, there's another finale that I watched that is just so utterly satisfying that this reminded me of in lots of ways. I don't. I, I'm sure you've seen the uh, series finale of Parks and Recreation. Yeah. Yeah. I love the fact that they decide to go forward in time and check in on these characters that you've loved and you've watched for so many seasons, basically just giving you like the, they're just telling you 
everything's okay. Everybody's happy. This is what everyone's doing now, right? Like, yeah, and now we're gonna closure. and we're bringing all the characters who who used to be recurring characters who have left the show, but will come back for this final episode. You know, and it's just like it's just like a really good feeling, and Man. I they're able to balance that out, like that good feeling stuff, with just especially in the beginning of this film, a kind of like dark and grim, like, you know, it, it's like, it's like, okay, fine. It's like the early part of this movie, like, oh, okay, cool. This is going to be like, I, I, you know, I was just like, oh God, I can see this right now. I was like, they're going to try to do the same thing that DC does, but because it's Marvel, everyone's going to love it. <laughs> and thankfully <laughs> it's not that it is not that at all. Like the, the movie um, does a really like they go into darker territory in a way that doesn't betray what Marvel has done before, which is impressive. Um, I think the other thing I would probably not compare this to, but I would say reminds me of is another superhero series, which we watched end. And that was dark Knight rises. The third Christopher Nolan Batman movie that gave us an ending to Batman. And it's probably the first comic book movie that had ever given us the that finality, I guess. That this movie, despite the fact that there are still going to be more Marvel movies to come, this feels mm-hmm. like this is it. Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's not going to get any bigger than this. There's just like, no... Told... It's, the cast isn't going to get any bigger, and it's just not going to be this giant collection of stars again, the way you've had this. I remember I told, like, I was telling my girlfriend after we, after, she watched the movie as well. We didn't watch it together. But we were talking about the movie. And like I told her, if Marvel Studios shut down today, and this was the last movie they were ever going to make, I'm sure myself and a lot of the fan base would be 100% okay with that. It's the ending that you will... Like you said, it's just so satisfying. It ties up everything perfectly. And you're happy that there's more to the saga and there's more stories to be told and there's more heroes that are going to get the limelight. But it was so well done that you're totally okay with this being the end. You know? So, without further ado, let us lend some context to the beginning of Endgame. So... If you are if you are listening to this, obviously this is a very, our podcast is very spoiler heavy. But if you don't want the spoilers to Infinity War, you know, spoiler alert, they lose. Then go, we'll pause. You go pause the podcast. Go watch it real quick. But for those of you that already are on the and already know what's going on, just a really quick reminder. So. Thanos, he's the big bad that the Russos and the Avengers have been putting together pretty much since the first Avengers movie. So this is about, what, ten, yeah, about, we're talking seven years ago, more or less? Seven years in the making that Thanos has been working from the shadows trying to get a hold of all of the Infinity Stones. Finally, he takes it upon himself, and he attacks the heroes on Earth. Without giving you too much of a, uh, you know, in-depth plot of the film, Thanos ends up succeeding, defeating our heroes, claiming the six Infinity Stones, and finally being able to do the famous Thanos snap, fulfilling his prophecy of bringing balance to the universe. 
And in doing so, he destroys half of the population of the entire universe. Not just the planet Earth, not just our galaxy, but everywhere. And that takes us into the beginning of Avengers Endgame, which picks up almost immediately after, right? Yeah, like I think it's it's several weeks after the whole Thanos thing has happened. Can I just say, before we actually start discussing some of the plot elements of this movie, this mm-hmm. movie, I think one of the reasons why I loved it so much, it doesn't feel like the other Avengers movies. Do you want to know mm-hmm. what exactly this felt like? And it's kind of a Marvel movie, but not... I guess not 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 MCU like itself. This is an X Men movie to me. Like they have done, and I think and and I love the X Men series. Like I am a gigantic mm-hmm. fan of it. Um, I don't care about the continuity in X Men. I know it's all fucked. Like it's just <laughs> we don't care anymore. <laughs> it makes absolutely no sense. But um, you know you have the cosmic storyline. You have the Scarlet Witch, which, God, she reminds me a lot of, like, kind of the Jean Grey character from X-Men. Mm-hmm. Um, we we have Thanos, who might as well, you know, I mean, he could still be Thanos, but it's, like, also, th- this is very much what I wished X-Men Apocalypse was like. Yeah. <laughs> In terms of, like, you know, finally setting them up with, like, the biggest evil that they've ever come across. Um, yeah. And it's just, like, your main key, like, grouping of heroes. Like, it felt like X-Men. Like, the camaraderie that they have had with each other. Um, and it, This is... Mm-hmm. No, I'm sorry. This, was, this is very much a team that's not used to losing. And they've celebrated a lot of victories together, and they've done a lot together. They've done... They've had ten years' worth of adventures, you know, whether individually or together. And I think, like you said, it's you know it's awesome that they're able to capture that, and you know to have the move to have Infinity War end the way it did, and then to have uh, Endgame begin the way it did, it makes it feel so surreal because it feels like it takes place in an alternate timeline where something terribly wrong happened. And I felt they captured that sense of dread very well. Because you're like, holy shit. They fucked up. And they lost. Bad, you know? And I felt that there's... Yeah, there's not many movies that have that feeling of letting your heroes lose. And making it known that they lost. Yeah. And and the other thing, too, is just... You know, one of the things I did not like about Infinity War was the fact that it nothing about it felt like it had real stakes. Like, that ending mm-hmm. of that movie, I know they're all coming back. I know they're making yep. another Spider-Man movie. Like, I know that, that there was other films in the MCU that were going to have to try to deal with this kind of, you know, with, with the fallout from this film. So, mm-hmm. I didn't feel the stakes in it at all. I think what's really impressive about this movie is that this movie from the very beginning is able to capture the fact that this event had major consequences. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of stuff that you can only really deal with. Again, it's like, you know, the first film ended with the cliffhanger ending and now you're picking it up and it's, and even though it does feel like 
it's something from the same universe that you're picking up, this story just feels a lot more focused. And uh, mm-hmm. I really appreciate that um, as well. So here we are. We're dealing with the Avengers like now. All, all of a sudden, like they all have to continue going on, trying to figure out how they're yep. going to get back all the people that they that they care about that they've lost, mm-hmm. right? And who's the first person that they focused on? Somebody who was not in Infinity War at all, right? Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. And we get a close up of him, you know, uh, his 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 ankle bracelet, which I guess has to be something that's uh, that's coming out of Civil War or or maybe even Age of Ultron, right? The the Sokovia Accords, where like they're not really allowed to be superheroes, or, or where, or, or I think it was like it was like arrests, right? Because I know, Ant- After... I, finally, I finally watched, I finally watched a couple weeks ago, Ant Man and the Wasp, and I know a lot yeah, of it okay. was about. Took you was, long enough. I know, I know, and a lot of it that was, was very... uh, Scott Lang and uh, you know having to deal with the ankle bracelet and being on house arrest, so. <laughs> But yeah, that's pretty much like the terms of their arrest after uh, Civil War. After violating the Sokovia Accords and pretty much going full vigilante, uh, these guys had to. Well, Hawkeye had to wear his um, had to wear his uh, ankle bracelet. Same thing as Scott Lang. Um, I mean, Hawkeye isn't tripping. He actually loves his home and he loves being around his family. And you have, and it's really weird because the way it starts off, there's nothing to indicate that the movie started. It's just this scene where Hawkeye's, te- you know, he has this moment where he's teaching his daughter how to shoot an arrow the same way he does. Yeah, this is pre-credits. It's pre-credits, and it's literally just, I, like, I didn't even get a feature presentation. Like, they showed the no, the snacks ad yeah. for the lobby, and then the lights went off immediately, and it just jumped right into this. Yeah, and I was like, did I miss something? Like, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, you, you have this cool moment, and then you get to really see him as, to be uh, one of those uh, MCU dads. And I don't know why. MC, like, the MCU is chock full of great father figures. <laughs> and Hawkeye feels like one of them, you know? He has that, you know, he, he he's has that moment with his daughter where they're, where he's teaching her how to shoot arrows. And, you know, he's funny, and he, you know, he's joking with his kids and whatnot. And then... You know, he calls out for, I think it was his youngest son, and the kid doesn't respond. And But but in the background, you can see dust. Yep. And then he goes and he calls over, he's looking for his daughter. And then she, you know, same thing, disappears, dust. Can't find her. And he's starting to freak out because he turns around. Now his daughter, or now his wife and his other son are gone. Yeah. So in the, in a matter of seconds he's the only one left and it gives you that timeline. It gives you that, uh, it gives, that point of reference where he's at is that, you know, Hawkeye was not at the infinity war because he's a family man. And to him, the most important thing was his family. So he kind of, he's essentially retired from the superhero life. Mm-hmm. At least that's the way I chose to, I, I chose to take that scene. Yeah. And suddenly something he had no control over ripped his family away from him. And right from the beginning, I was like, damn, this, this is emotional. (laughs) This is going to be one of those movies. eh?" It's funny enough when I talk about no reactions to anything in my theater. Mm -hmm. And there was crying in the theater during a certain part of the movie that we'll talk about. Um, There was one moment in this movie that got me and it actually wasn't this one. Um, but 
you know, uh, it's still it's still quite shocking and jarring to just have, you know, Hawkeye's family like disappear <laughs> out of nowhere, and then that's where we kind of jump into you know the rest of our heroes and and uh, or does it no? It goes straight to the space station, right? Or uh, the spaceship so where to... where Tony Stark and Nebula have been, right? Exactly. So the two characters that I feel have the best character arcs and characterization i want to i would argue in the entire mcu are essentially the only survivors from uh the fight on titan so they've been stuck on uh star lord's ship for i believe three weeks at this point you know they're running out of food they're running out of oxygen tony stark has completely resigned to dying and he's been keeping logs of every day to try to reach his wife Pepper. Um, very Dark Knight Rises. It's like very it, much it, so. It, yeah, it feels the same as like the beginning of that movie where you see you know Bruce Wayne has basically become a hermit who's like just waiting to die. Like that. That is the vibe that I got off of uh, Tony Stark here. I do do, however, want to say that I think kind of like not a montage but like that selection of scenes where it shows like you know him and nebula like just kind of going through this whole thing together and with a point mm-hmm. where like she's like sharing like whatever's left of the crumbs of food uh with yeah. him and allowing him to eat it and stuff like that that is like it is a depth that that i did not anticipate to get from this character Mm-hmm. Like this movie, one of the things that I love about it is you got those surprise like uh, stars that came out of it. Nebula was one of the characters that surprisingly gets very well featured in it, and the other mm-hmm. one that's going to be coming up soon is Ant Man. So yeah. it's it's characters really you don't expect to take front and center stage. Do just that. Mm-hmm. Nebula, like I will. I will say right now, Nebula is one of my favorite characters in the MCU after this film. Yep. Like, she was... I was really liking her characterization from when we first see her in Guardians of the Galaxy till now. But holy shit. This movie takes her to a whole nother level where I'm just like, she is hands down one of the best written characters in this entire series. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think, like, having... I, I, at first, she's like the random pick to have survived to make it to this movie after seeing how well, I forgot what the actress's name is that plays her, mm-hmm. but seeing how well she did and just kind of how well, like she played out and she like fit her way into the, with the rest of the characters, Karen Gillian. There we go. Uh, how well Karen Gillian did as uh, Nebula. I was just like, damn, like I want my own Nebula movie. Like that would be great. <laughs> But, you know, um, and Tony Stark has this one line when he's having the, when he's record, leaving recordings for Pepper, where he says, I lost the kid. I was like, damn. Because that was, like, th- that entire movie, I was fine, and I loved Infinity War, up until the part where Spider-Man died. And that to this day has to have be like the biggest emotional reaction I ever got from a, from a superhero movie. Mm-hmm. And it was just so well done. That little baby boy, Tom Holland says, I don't feel so good. I don't want to die. And then like, ha- you know, has that rambling moment and it reminds you, Holy crap. He's still a kid. 
He's really great in the role, and I know we talked about it in Into the Spider-Verse, but he's really fantastic at this role. Like he really yes. like like you know I've had I've had friends of mine who who are into Spider Man who have told me up and down that you know one of the things that's really that that people really appreciate about Peter Parker is that he is an inexperienced superhero, and yep. he is young and it you never get that youth off of him and it doesn't matter what they did with with I don't know what they were going for with Andrew Garfield. Um, you kind of got a little bit of that youthfulness with Tobey Maguire, despite the fact that he was much older than he was playing in those mm-hmm. films. But God, t- t- Tom Holland, like he maybe he might be the best one out of the live action Spider Mans, mm-hmm. or at least that. or at least getting close to tying with uh, with Tobey Maguire for me, because he mm-hmm. he he sounds very young, like he and not just in terms of his voice, like in how his voice sounds. But just the way he speaks, like the fact that he just kind of speeds up to tell you something, like it uh-huh. is, it's how kids talk, right? Like it's, oh, first we did this, and then we had to go do this, and then you know, like wow, <laughs> like this whole thing happened, and and it's just like you know, where we're we're just rushing to get to the next thought before you forget, like <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, um, I do, I do totally get it, and you know, it adds that depth to Tony's character as well, and it really kind of like hammers home the relationship he had with this kid because you know it's this, probably his biggest regret yeah and I'm, and I, and i kind of am not really keen on going through this entire movie scene by scene by scene or else we'll be here for like uh, three days yeah because it's a fucking three hour movie so i'm sorry i just wanted to bring attention to all that so yeah let's <laughs> no 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 but but i but, but part of what why i wanted to bring that up is because the the thing i really want to say on on peter parker and 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 Tony Stark is that after this movie, like they have given me the Uncle Ben storyline without giving me Uncle Ben in Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Like Tony Stark is the father figure in this version of Spider-Man's life. Um, so it's like now it's like I have that now. It's like he, it's like I a I don't need to see another you know uncle ben dying in the middle of the street again they've already done it twice with martin sheen and and the other gentleman who interestingly enough the guy who played uh you know uncle Uncle ben Ben in the original spider-man the sam raimi one is most famous uh from a twilight zone episode called the dummy and uh, uh, where he was much younger, so it will be connected somehow. I to would hope he's much younger. Subseries, <laughs> but it's like yeah, it's like the MCU gave us our version of that now, and yeah. I appreciated that. And I think you know his his next solo movie is going to deal with a lot of the grief that he's going to be going through because spoiler alert, worse. Tony yeah. Stark dies in this movie. Oh, spoilers, asshole. <laughs> but you, and you know what? That makes it even that much that much harder. Uh, to be Peter Parker is that now he's lost three father figures, including his own dad, you know? So it really hammers home that Spider-Man as great of a character as he is. You can't have Spider-Man without heartbreak. And I think Tom Holland's going to do a great job with that. But yeah, like you were saying, we can't really sit here and go through this, dissect this movie the way we dissect the other ones. So, Carol Danvers, good old Captain Marvel, has manages to save Nebula and Tony Stark from the deep space. So she's able to, you know, use her magic space powers to fly Tony and Nebula back to Earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the meantime, you know, the, re- the remaining Avengers, which is Black Widow, Hulk, Cap, 
Rocket, Thor, and War Machine are essentially trying to come up with a plan of attack, and they're trying to locate Thanos. Uh, Tony Stark has this moment, this freak-out moment, where he blames Steve, and he blames the Avengers for not being proactive enough the way he'd wanted. Because, and he has that great line where he says, what are we, the Avengers? He goes, why can't we be the pre-Avengers and stop them before this happens or before everyone dies? This know? is like the moment that felt like, um, you know, this is where you're dealing with the fallout from Civil War. You know, the yeah. relation, the, the, there's always going to be a tension between uh, Tony and uh, and Steve, right? And. Mm-hmm. It was also like to me as someone who's you know more used to things on the DC side. It's very Batman Superman the relationship mm-hmm. that they've had, especially with the fact that Tony wants to have levels of control over everything, and yeah. uh, you know, and it's just it's just not possible to have that. The other thing is I have a little bit of sympathy for Tony because I, I I'm pretty sure that part of that is just a fallout of the fact that he's been you know without hardly any food <laughs> for several weeks. He's very clearly dehydrated. Uh, the, with this, the fact that he's hooked up to an IV, so um, you know this scene made me want to hate. I mean, it probably was set there to be like, damn, like it makes you want to be angry at Tony, but not hate him. But I can't even find myself being angry at Tony Stark during this scene, and that's because like after a while, like I used to be in that camp that hated Tony Stark, but when you take that character outside of the context of just the microcosm of Civil War. And you put him in the entire macrocosm that is like the MCU, and you remember who he who he was in the first Iron Man movie to who he is by the end of this movie, and to see everything he did, like, yeah, was he a dick? Yeah, totally, he was a total dick. But the whole reason he did that was because, or the whole reason he became a dick and had to have that level of control and had to do this is because he was the only one on earth of the Avengers to know Thanos was coming, you know? Mm-hmm. So he's been preparing since essentially 2011. So he's prepared for seven years to fight Thanos. And finally the moment came and to be so close to beating him and being able to, to save the world and finally like being able to put that boogeyman to rest and he fails like, I totally understand why he's angry. He just needs to lash out. It just sucks he lashed out a cap, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, and simultaneously while you're dealing with that, um, you know, I mean, well, after you deal with that situation, they immediately go uh, and find where Thanos is now. Uh, Nebula, yeah, Nebula, you know, it's easy to forget that Nebula is obviously very close with Thanos or was at one point to the fact where she knows where he would go. And um, because Thanos talked about it ever since she was a child mm -hmm. that what he would do if he ever completed. So they end up flying to this distant planet called the garden and Thanos is essentially a cripple, you know, he half his body's burnt from using the affinity gauntlet and essentially purging the universe and he immediately gets apprehended by the remaining Avengers and Captain Marvel. And they demand that he gives up the Infinity Stones, to which he tells everybody that he, in order to make sure the changes he's done are complete, 
he used the stones to destroy the stones so that no one can ever undo his life's work. And in a fit of rage, Thanos takes off, I'm sorry, Thor takes off Thanos' head, but not before Thanos gets to utter the, probably one of his craziest lines, I am inevitable. Yep. And then we get a five-year time skip. Mm-hmm. And it's essentially everyone just coping with the fact that the Avengers lost. And by everyone, I don't mean just the team. I mean the entire world. And they and, do like... And before sorry, we really jump into that, like it is pretty shocking that they decide to kill Thanos off so early in the movie. Oh, totally. I wasn't expecting it. I thought they were going to be fighting this Thanos. Yeah. No, it's like that is the moment where I said, okay, well, now you have my attention. Let's see what you're going to do with this now. First you had my attention. Now you have my interest. (laughs) So five years later, you know, they do this really cool world building thing where Cap goes to a PTSD support group for survivors of Thanos's uh, is culling. And, you know, there's just, like, you see how this, like, the ramifications this not only has on the heroes, but just, like, the population at large, where a guy talks about how he went on a date, and one of the guys started crying, because they don't, how are you supposed to talk about a normal life when half the world is gone, suddenly? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a lot of these people trying to rebuild their lives together, and Captain America just having to essentially tell these folks, look... You just got to move on. Take it from the guy that was locked inside of a, or that was frozen in place for 70 years and missed out on the love of his life. He's the perfect guy to do that. And the other thing too, is that he's also the perfect guy to kind of, this is the movie where I feel like he really becomes a leader. um, Oh, totally. Because he is someone who had to make a sacrifice uh, to live in this modern world that they're all in. He basically gave up the life that he had. Um, and, you know, he's had to live with that ever since. Like, it, years have gone by where he's, like, mm. had to absorb the fact that he's someone in a different time now. And um, and all the people that he cared about are long gone, with the exception of Bucky, right? Um, mm-hmm. And it's he is a perfect person to talk to the Avengers who are dealing with the loss of the other Avengers that are left. Because obviously at this point, they don't really have any hope anymore. So they do need someone yeah. who's going to lead them and kind of just keep them all from wanting to kill themselves. Yeah, because Black Widow, she she threw herself completely into her work. And she just kind of like, from Earth, she's like coordinating all these, all these people, uh, all their different... Um, you know, like, just coordinating all the, these different efforts to be able to, like, maintain some sort of normalcy, right? So, like, um, like they, they immediately take Captain Marvel out of the movie because she's a celestial, like, well, not celestial. That's, <laughs> I don't want to piss off a bunch of fans. But she's, like, a, uh, because she's, like, a space opera character and has so much to worry about, you know, she even says it herself, like, everything that happened on Earth, it wasn't just Earth, it was the entire universe. An entire universe needs me. So she has to go all throughout the universe to try to, like, fix all these problems, right? So she's almost immediately taken out of the movie by going to the stars. And then you got Nebula 
and Rocket, like, kind of handling the immediate space stuff while you got War Machine handling things here on Earth. And then Black Widow's just kind of coordinating everything, but she her heart isn't in it anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, Captain, like you were saying, Captain America is kind of like the soul. He's got to keep everyone together. Otherwise, the Avengers will lose and they will keep losing, you know? Um, and they had that moment where, like, Black Widow, get, like, kind of breaks down a little bit before Steve, like, asks if he can see her and then they have that moment where where he he's just being optimistic he's just being the same cat that we've all been used to you know (laughs) and then while this is going on at a what's it called a uh, storage unit we see this old dilapidated van who if you saw ant-man and wasp will recognize as the van that uh, Scott Lang and his friends, I forgot what, what his buddies' his names are, but the, the van they use for their security company. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, you know, there's a, the, the, the machine in the back of the van starts turning on and it shoots Scott Lang out of the quantum realm and back to, uh, well, pretty much our world. So for those of you that don't know, if you did not see Ant-Man and Wasp, the way that film ends is that Ant-Man goes you know, to the quantum realm, so sub- he goes completely subatomic at the same time that Thanos dusts the world. So the people that were in charge of bringing him back, which were Hank Pym, uh, Janet Van Dyne, and Hope Van Dyne, um, weren't there to, uh, in order to bring him back. So he was stuck in the quantum realm for five years. Mm-hmm. And when and Scott, and, uh, Scott comes back to the present, which at this point would be 2023, he comes mm-hmm. back to the present in this current timeline where half the, you know, half the population is gone. Um, he immediately goes to his family's, uh, to his, uh, his family's house in San Francisco um, well, he has this moment where he goes down to the memorial, to the Thanos memorial, and he's trying to find uh, his family's names, but what he ends up finding is actually his own name. Mm-hmm. Which so, means that he's now knows that everyone thought that he died uh, when Thanos snapped his finger. Exactly. So folks thinking that he died along with the rest of the, you know, the rest of the half of the universe. He, after that, he immediately goes and sees his family, and they have this really touching moment where he sees his daughter, and we don't know this yet, but what has only been five hours for Scott has actually been five years for the rest of the world. So This was the scene in the movie that made me cry, and nothing else came imagine. close to it. It obviously, <laughs> like, look, obviously, like, as a father, your dad, it yeah, as, as a father, and I have a daughter, right? So it's yeah. like it, it, that is definitely something that hit me. Also, just I really like the character of Scott Lang, and I love Paul Rudd as this character. So the fact that you know now you're dealing with something where he's like he's he's being asked to do something a little bit dramatic, like it, it works and it comes off really authentic to me. And to me, it's probably one of the best moments in the film because I, I've just, I've actually never felt a moment like that in another superhero movie before. The second time we saw Scott in the Marvel Extended Universe, 
he looked hungover, and they needed a cup of coffee to wake him up before they went to go fight Iron Man and his group of Avengers. So he was always played up as this comedic character, and now to suddenly be, like, one of the guys and being completely needed to save the world is... It's it's an added... It's an added depth to the character, and Paul Rudd is just fucking amazing, man. And he also yeah. introduces the the plot line in this. I did not know that this movie was going to go here. This is where I was like, okay, this is it. I am sold. This might be one of my favorite movies in the MCU now, is when you find out that this is going to be a time travel movie now. Yep. Not just so. that. It is going to be a time travel heist movie now. The time heist, <laughs> by the way, is so in line with Scott Lang as a character that he comes up with the stupid name and gets super excited about it. <laughs> like, I know how we were talking about how Winston, you were Winston Duke and us, but holy shit, are you Scott Lang in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? <laughs> okay, and the the other thing too, when we're talking, since we're talking about characters that were catching up to where they've been in in the past five years the next character that they go to find you know what because they they needed to go find someone who was intelligent right who could who could really put together the equation that scott is proposing which is you know just there's a lot of quantum physics involved in in the theory of time travel uh they go to see tony right yeah and um Tony is not able to help, not because he doesn't, not because he can't, but the fact that he is the only character of them who has basically found a life in this new world. Like, you know, he gets married to Pepper, he lives in a cabin out in the middle of nowhere, and he has a daughter now as well, right? Um, Mm -hmm. I don't blame Tony for not wanting to do any of this at all, um... Why would you want to go back to being a superhero after you've lost everything? You've lost your surrogate son, you've lost your surrogate family, and you saw your friends, and you know, you know, you take responsibility for that. I don't, I sure shit wouldn't want to go back to that. Well, I think the thing is too, it's like you're the only one who really was able to move on. Like you had a family yeah. now, and he looks like he's very happy and. He loves her three thousand, right? Like, there's a oh lot of, my God, there's, there's, so there's millions of reasons for, for the fact that he wouldn't want to go there. But you actually mentioned it, and I, it didn't really come into my mind until, again, Infinity War. I don't think about it much, <laughs> but you know, when he like looks at a, at a picture of him and Peter Parker, like that's mm-hmm. where you realize that if, the, if he is gonna come back into doing this again, it's gonna be because of Peter. Right, and he's gonna get Peter back. But, but originally, they go to yeah. seize Tony, and Tony tells him that he's got nothing for them, and he's not gonna be able to help them at all. So they yeah. know that they have to go to the, you know, to the other next smartest person that they know, and that is the Beast. No, wait, I'm sorry, it's the Hulk, right? This is Professor Hulk now. We're Professor gonna Hulk. say the Beast from from X Men. Uh... X-Men? He's absolutely I'm, Beast from X-Men. He, well, actually, no. What this is... Haha. <laughs> um, actually... <laughs> this is time for me to flex my nerd muscles. So what this is, is a callback to... Um... To, uh... 
Hulk persona named the Professor, mm-hmm. where he was successfully able to keep his brains of Bruce Banner with the body of the Hulk. So he's not nearly as strong as a fully enraged Hulk, but he's able to, he's still able to like, you know, he still has super strength. And plus he's coherent of what he does. Mm-hmm. Now the fail safe to the professor is that if the professor gets too angry, he reverts back to the body of Banner, but the mind of the Hulk. So he's just a really <laughs> pissed off, angry Banner. <laughs> yeah, and I should be, and I should be clear. Uh, I'm aware of the professor persona that Hulk has. Oh, okay. It's just like from the idea of the fact that this really does feel like a cosmic X-Men story to me. Like mm-hmm. it felt like it's totally beast. Kelsey Grammer. Yeah, yeah like yeah. that is. A, I see what you're saying. Yeah, Kelsey Grammer beast is what I was thinking about. <laughs> Kelsey, you know what? A lot of people poo-poo on Last Stand, myself included. My favorite thing that I had to give was Kelsey Grammer as the Beast. Yeah. Because the Beast is my favorite X-Men. But that's not here nor there. But yeah, so we, we get to see the Professor Hulk, and he's, like, become a total celebrity where mm-hmm. he's, you know, he's constantly in the Hulk form, but he has his body, he has his mind, right? <laughs> And they have that scene where he's like a celebrity and he's taking pictures with these kids. And then Ant-Man, Captain America, and Black Widow are at this diner with him. And then Ant-Man's like, hey guys, I'm Ant-Man. And the kids are like, okay. And he's like, don't you want to take a picture with me? And then like the kids don't want to. And then the Hulk keeps trying to force the kids to take a picture <laughs> with Ant-Man. And it's like cringy and awkward. And I <laughs> fucking loved it. Well, he's also the second character who seems like he's had like something good has come out of his life. He was able to move on. Like, and he's yeah. probably the happiest I've ever seen Hulk in any of these movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it again, it's a nice change of. It's just a nice change of character from what you're used to from certain of these characters. Oh, God. So, they end up recruiting the Hulk, and he finds out that you theoretically can use the Quantum Realm to travel in time. And what I love that this movie does is that it very plainly establishes the rules of time travel right at the beginning. And... The the rules are shut up. It's gonna work. <laughs> like essentially, like the Hulk goes on this rant about how you can't alter the past because the past is in cement because it's already happened. Mm-hmm. And if you were to go from the present to the past, all you're doing is creating a new future for that one person who went into the past. Mm-hmm. Because the past will always be the same, no matter what. And he goes, you can't create a time paradox. That's stupid. <laughs> and I was like, I love that they did that. It's I, like, like the multiverse theory, right? Exactly. It's kind of yeah. like the multiverse theory. It's the, the idea that they go back and they create a separate timeline. Exactly. But the Hulk, the Hulk says that there's no way to create a separate timeline. It's and almost just like creating a different reality. Yeah, so it's less about changing the past as much as... Because it says that the all those events already happened. Mm-hmm. So the only thing you're doing is creating a div- divergent point. So if they do want to create a multiverse, and this is kind of the way you do it. But what I do appreciate it is that when you have a time travel movie, you can always answer all these... You can always fix all your problems by just being like, why not go all the way in the past, you know? 
Mm-hmm. Or and I think someone even brings it up later in the movie. It's like, I think it was uh it was War Machine that's like, why don't we just go back and kill baby Thanos? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And they were like, and you know they have that hilarious moment where they're talking about all the you know all the time travel movies, including Hot Tub Time Machine. Yeah. <laughs> so they established the rules for time travel from all these different movies. But you know, and then the Hulk brings back brings up that even if you were to go into the past, you can't alter that past because your timeline is gonna stay the same. Mm-hmm. So what this it, pretty much sets up that I really like is that now you realize that you're gonna see the greatest hits of the MCU movies, and that's all it is, and that's what, and I love it, and I'm glad they want to go do that. Um, before they manage to go back in time. I do think we should note uh, the Ronin reference when they go finally recruit Hawkeye, who's actually been operating in Tokyo. Well, he's been operating all around the world, but they find him in Tokyo dressed up as a ninja in like this ninja outfit, which was the Ronin outfit for those that follow the Marvel Universe or the Marvel comic books. Which to me just looks like it it all felt like season one of Arrow on CW to me. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, there, there's not much to it. And, of course, my a hero we can all relate to, Fat Drunk Thor. <laughs> I love that they just turned Thor into the dude from the Big Lebowski. <laughs> yeah, okay, this is the first thing where I was just like, okay, look, <laughs> I I should hate this right now. Like, yeah, we are we are going right we are traveling to New Asgard on Earth, which was set up at the end of Ragnarok. Um, and in this New Asgard, <laughs> five years after Infinity War, we are now being introduced to an Eddie Murphy fat suit wearing Crim's, Chris Hemsworth. And <laughs> And I was just like, holy shit. <laughs> but, I, you know, I, I, whatever. I will totally go with it. <laughs> because so far this that. movie is, is, is great. And I think one of the things that I love the most about this scene is the people who, who are living with him. Oh, yeah. He's like totally like living in squalor with Korg and me. <laughs> <laughs> Where all they're doing is playing video games and yelling at kids. <laughs> yeah, I also really like that just that Corgan is just like Korg is still just like like super timid and not really, cannot really be aggressive towards anyone. And it just reminds me of just the awesome scene from Ragnarok where he's like asking everyone if they want to join his what is it, his revolt? It's the revolution. And then when they blow up something, he just goes, the revolution has begun. <laughs> but he says it so quietly. Yeah. Yeah. And what's funny is that in Planet Hulk, where you see Korg, he's like this honor-bound giant... Like, he's the thing, pretty much. Mm. But, you know, he speaks kind of like very about knightly and about honor and shit like that. And then when you get Korg in Ragnarok and in this movie, I'm like, I should hate him, but I don't because he's so hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, so after they yell at Noob Slayer 69, <laughs> <laughs> that's such a that's such a name that someone comes up with that uh, 
when you're like out of touch and you're trying to relate to the kids. Yeah. But holy shit, it still tickles me. Like the only thing would have been better is like Puss Slayer 40, 420 or some shit. <laughs> I have to I have to admit like yeah it was it, it it's it was just something I super I could not get over and uh I just like in in a positive way like I really love that that you know that that we're catching up with these characters at this time and it's also just giving Thor like something to um to really kind of <laughs> not suffer over but deal with right like he's the one who killed Thanos and yeah. it's in it's affected everyone in different ways and it turned Thor into an alcoholic. <laughs> yep. And of all the characters the in the Avengers, the one who actually became an alcoholic, it's we've decided to put Thor in that place instead. Well, not just that, it's the fact that he like gets fat. <laughs> so it's not even that he becomes like a brooding, angry alcoholic. He's just like He's just like a party drunk. Yeah. He's basically like the dude now. <laughs> I'm telling you. Yeah. And what's hella funny is one of my friends asked me, he goes, uh, so I heard Thor gets fat in this movie. I'm like, yeah, he does. And they were like, does he lose weight for the final battle? I'm like, no, he doesn't. <laughs> yeah, this is him like for if, the rest of this movie. I'm like, if anything, he actually wears special armor that's more, that's less form-fitting for his voluptuous frame. And then my friend is like, "Fuck yeah!" <laughs> I have to give him all the, I have to give Chris Hemsworth all the credit for just going for it. Like he is a guy who just goes for it and doesn't you know really, he doesn't, he doesn't really trip off his image, which is like something that's not like common for, for you know, for stars in Hollywood. Like he's the guy who who decided that he was gonna play a bit part as the male receptionist in the all female star uh, Ghostbusters film. He's gonna play, I'm pretty sure, the second agent behind Tessa Thompson again. Who they're gonna start together again in the Men in Black spinoff movie now. Yeah. So he's just yeah, he's a guy who just kind of, and, and in Star Trek, like where he plays like Kirk's father in that one scene. He's just really good at like. He puts his all he's into everything, it. no matter how yeah. bad whatever he's given to work with is. He's crushing it, and he has fun, and that's why he, you know, he was one of those guys that was ready to leave the MCU, and then Ragnarok, he had a shit ton of fun making it, and I'm glad because I love Ragnarok, and, you know, it sounds like he's going to come back. And you know what this part reminds me of, where they all finally get time travel to work. Tony shows up, and and we're like setting up, you know, through montage for this. (laughs) It reminds me of that episode from The Simpsons where they all have to go into Shelbyville and get the lemon tree back. (laughs) Like they all like start splitting off into sub teams, and I just wanted to like think about, okay, here you go, Rocket and Thor, you guys are Team Strike Force. Just, and all I can think We're about was, yeah. <laughs> oh my god so yeah I'm glad you brought it up so at this point they you know sorry I'm still laughing at team discovery <laughs> So Tony comes back, and they finally get time travel to work, so they split up into teams. So uh, so Ant-Man, Hulk, 
uh, Captain America and Iron Man all travel back to New York City in 2012 during the Battle of New York when, um, what's his face? Uh, Loki is trying to take over the world. Um, in the meantime, Rocket and Thor, they go back to 2013, the Asgard, so I believe this was supposed to be during Dark World, uh, to be able to recover the reality stone. Yeah. One of the MCU movies that I've watched the least and probably have the least esteem for. I literally fell asleep during Thor The Dark World. I, like, Mm -hmm. throughout the entire middle section of the movie, and I'd never watch it again. All I know is, like, the first 20 minutes of it and maybe the last 10 minutes. (laughs) That's more than me. I I haven't watched any of the Thor movies other than Ragnarok. Yeah. And I'm totally okay with it. Um, let's see. So in 2014, um, so that pretty much leaves Team Discovery Channel, <laughs> which is consists of Nebula, War Machine, uh, Black Widow, and uh, Hawkeye, who end up splitting up into two sub teams where Nebula and War Machine go after the Power Stone back when Peter Quill was on Morag trying to get it at mm-hmm. the beginning of Guardians of the Galaxy. And then uh, Red's, I'm sorry, bleh, not Red Skull, uh, um, Black Widow and Hawkeye go over to where, I forgot what planet the Red Skull is on, mm-hmm. but in order for them to get the Soul Stone. Right. So they go through all these different times to be able to, uh, you know, since, they, since the Infinity Stones were destroyed in the present, they had to go to the past. And get them back so that they can undo everything Thanos has done. So, while they're in New York, they come up with, they devise this plan to be able to get the, uh, I believe, ah, crap, I forgot which one it was. They end up devising this plan so that they can get the Mind Stone, the Time Stone, and whatever the Tesseract was. Or for the, I think it's the Space Stone? It could be, yeah. I, I, I Unfortunately, I just don't know my Infinity Stones. I just know that there's five of them that you're supposed to collect, right? Yeah, so the Hulk goes to... Well, I think five or six. I always lose count. I think it's six. But anyway, the Hulk goes and he confronts the Ancient One to be able to get the Time Stone from her. In the meantime, there are trying to recover the Mind Stone, which is in Loki's Scepter, and the... What's it called? The Space Stone, which is in the Tesseract. Mm -hmm. So, at one time, there's three Infinity Stones in the city of New York. So they come up with this plan to be able to steal the stones from... from, I believe it was... uh, Iron Man? Yeah, well, the, first they're going to steal the Scepter, right? And yeah. they're also going to steal the tes- Tesseract and the Scepter were two different things, right? Or was the... No, no, no. The Tesseract, the tesseract was, the was the Scepter, right? No, the Tesseract was the cube, and the Scepter was the Mind Stone. That's oh, right. why every time to, uh, Loki would touch it to somebody, he would be able to control their mind and shit like that. Exactly, yeah. Okay. So... Mm-hmm. Let's break it down piece by piece, because there's a lot of shit that happens, and it's really cool. Let's start with the Mind Stone. So, I believe that at this point, S.H.I.E.L.D. has actually been controlled by Hydra. Yes, that's what Winter Soldier tells us. Captain America, knowing this from his experience with Winter Soldier, 
confronts a team of shield agents who are actually controlled by Hydra. And if you saw the, uh, there was actually uh, a character from Winter Soldier and Civil War. Mm-hmm. I forgot what his name was, but he he becomes Crossbones, and that's the guy that essentially was the reason behind the uh, the he was behind the terrorist attack that led to um, the the writing of the Sokovia Accords. So. They yeah. had By the way, moment. I should give an honorable yeah. mention for favorite MCU movie to uh, Captain America Winter Soldier, which I did not include like in the beginning of the show. So oh, it's, totally. It it's great, great having some of the characters from that film. And the fact that they reference it, like it's just it, – it's cool. It makes this feel connected. And again, it's, it's all building up towards a satisfying ending. Um, when they need to steal the – if it – <laughs> when they when they need to steal what I be, I think the tesseract, um, you're essentially going and watching the end of the Battle of New York from the original Avengers movie from a different angle, which reminded me a lot of Back to the Future too, when Marty has to return to 1955 again and see himself and like kind of avoid both his parents now and also himself at the same time. Uh, yeah, and to, to grab the sports almanac from Biff. This is exactly <laughs> Back to the Future too in this moment. And also, I really one of the lines that actually made everyone in my theater laugh and uh, made me laugh the hardest was where they like look at that god awful Captain America costume from the uh, original Avengers movie, and, <laughs> and Tony Stark basically insults the way that Captain America's ass looks in the spandex. <laughs> to was which Ant Man replies, "Hey, that's America's ass." <laughs> he was like, "What was it? That costume is not doing you any favors for your ass." And he goes, "Hey, that's America's ass." <laughs> and so yeah. So I'm glad you brought that it up. It reminds me that like Scott Lang is a Captain America fanboy in this series. And it's hilarious because he's an unapologetic fanboy. Yeah. So they have that moment where Captain America, you know, he, he confronts the Hydra agents. Instead of getting, them into a, getting into a fight in the elevator, it just says, Hail Hydra. Is able to take the spear and walks away. And, you know, he's getting off scot-free when who does he run into? No, none other than, you know, 2012 Captain America. And Mm -hmm. he's like, ah, shit. Yeah. So that leads to this really cool fight scene between him and Captain America, or young Captain America, which ends up with, which ends with, uh, because at this point, Captain America, 2012 Captain America thinks that our Cap is, um, is Loki, uh, you know, impersonating him. So they end up fighting, and he ends up knocking out Captain America. Steve ends up knocking out our Steve knocks out Captain America, <laughs> to which he, you know, stares at his unconscious body, and he goes, "This is America's ass." <laughs> and it's funny because yeah. it's like you don't usually see Captain America make those little jokes, you know. Well, it reminds you of the fact that he's not such a tight ass like he was in the earlier Avengers movies. He's definitely loosened up a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, so meanwhile, the... ac- mm-hmm. oh no, I was gonna say just meanwhile across town, the Hulk is confronting the Ancient One, and he manages to convince her that their their plan will work, and that they promise to bring back all the Infinity Stones to maintain order to the timeline. 
Because what ultimately they're trying to avoid is they're trying to avoid creating more chaos into going into the future. And they don't want to disrupt any timelines. Right. So the Ancient One refuses until the Hulk tells her that this was all Doctor Strange's plan. Mm -hmm. So knowing that Doctor Strange is supposed to be the greatest Sorcerer Supreme, she's able to give up the Time Stone willingly to the Hulk. So that now they have two of the mind st- or two of the Infinity Stones. So we cut back to Avengers Tower. They're arresting um, they're arresting uh, Loki, and they come up with this plan that pretty much forces 2012 Iron Man to have a heart attack. Yeah, <laughs> and and they're trying as they recover the cosmic cube what they don't account for is an angry hulk that has to climb all the way down <laughs> to the bottom floor of Avengers Tower what i did like about tony yeah what i did like about this is that it actually is now you're dealing with okay so the end of the battle of new york is them triumphantly standing there having defeated loki and now you're dealing with the part that you don't think about very much in uh in superhero movies and that's just what the heck happens right after that battle is over? Like they they did a post credit scene where they all went to go eat shawarma at like a place somewhere in New York City. It's, this is like literally them on their way to whatever diner they're going to. <laughs> Pretty much, like, and it's kind of, and it's funny because like you know it's them having to collect evidence and arrest the bad guys and take everywhere they need to go, right? And they have that scene where, like, the Hulk tries to get on the elevator with Tony and the rest of the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents, and he goes, whoa, 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 this is at capacity, buddy. (laughs) To which the Hulk gets furious. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, they end up, uh, what ends up happening is that the Tesseract ends up getting stolen by Loki, who disappears. So immediately this plan has gone to shit. Right. However... Captain America remembers that the Tesseract was being held in upstate New York back in 1970. And not just for them, by the way. Like, the plan is going sideways for everyone now. Because, like, even simultaneously at the same time, Thor does not want to go get the... uh, Which stone is it from... um... I think it's the reality stone. The reality stone from Jane Foster. I just want to say Natalie Portman. I know. (laughs) (laughs) You know, where he has to get, he, he like basically gets scared and, and, you know, is, is way over his head and would rather be drinking anyway. And he decides not to do it. So rocket has to kind of go at it alone. And then at the same time, you know, um, Hawkeye and Black Widow trying to get the Soul Stone. They they when they finally get there discover that what it's going to cost is one of their lives, and uh, yeah. they spend a lot of time just basically fighting each other over who it is that's going to end up dying, and it ends up being Black Widow. So everywhere something has gone wrong here. Um, mm-hmm. And on oh, top also... of and on top of all of that, uh, oh, okay. the time traveling uh, Nebula is somehow, <laughs> through some sort of cloud software, syncing with the existing Nebula from 2014. And uh, this is where we get the reintroduction of a younger version of Thanos, who is now going to discover what he's doing in the future. An angrier, hungrier Thanos, who's somehow more thick than previous Thanos. <laughs> but sorry, we'll, well, we will return to that. I will... 
I will let you jump back into this next time jump that Captain America and Iron Man are going to have to do together. So they jump back to 1970, which actually gives us our wonderful Stan Lee uh, cameo of the film, where he is digitally a or de-aged to be younger. So I'm assuming in his 60s. And he's driving in his car with the la- with a with a nice looking lady, and as they drive by the army base, he yells, "Make love, not war!" <laughs> and then like, it was so random. I was like, "Why?" Yeah. But at this point, it was just nice to see, uh, you know, Stanley's final cameo. You know, or at least mm-hmm. as far as I know, it's his final cameo. Well, uh, knowing Disney and how CGI crazy they're going now. This may not be the final Stanley cameo we ever see. Oh God, no! Please, please say psych. <laughs> like this movie is like they just like they did with Kurt Russell in the second Guardians of the Galaxy. You see a seventies era Michael Douglas. <laughs> but you know what? He does not look like dog shit. If you ever saw the first Ant Man, he looked terrifying. <laughs> Kurt Russell in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 looked fucking weird as shit. But young Michael Douglas and young, I forgot the name of the guy that played uh, Tony Stark's dad. Mm-hmm. But he looked like he was like de-aged as well. They both look really good. I was like, I'm totally cool with those guys. But essentially, what ends up happening is that they split up. Cap has to go down and get some pin particles so that they can go back through the quantum realm and get back to the present. In the meantime, Tony has to go find the Tesseract, which is in another part in the same army installation. In the mean- So during that time, we have another emotional moment. At least, you know, I felt it a little bit more. I don't, I don't know if you did. But Tony got to meet his dad. And his dad was actually on his way to meet Tony's mom because she was actually pregnant with Tony. Mm-hmm. So... He, at that time, Tony Stark actually had that moment where he was able to talk to Howard Stark and he was able to kind of share that conversation he wasn't able to share with him the day he died that we saw back in Civil War. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they have this really touching moment where how where he realizes Howard wasn't the... He wasn't like this know-it-all guy or this guy that had it all together. He got to see his dad as human. He got to see his dad as, like, someone that had insecurities and fears. And, you know, he was afraid. He's like, what do I do? How do I, you know, what? how will I know if I'm going to be a good dad? He got to see his dad as a dad. And he's also had the, he also now has the experience of being a father himself. Right? So it gives, and it just... You know, when, when you do become a parent, I can speak from experience, uh, you do start to get a greater appreciation and understanding for the kinds of stuff that your parents have done for you. Um, and you start to understand it on a deeper level beyond just the kinds of things that they would tell you or you would tell them. There's a feeling aspect of it that makes it very deep. And on top of that as well, like this is this feels like it's closure for Tony Stark. 
Like this yes. guy is. Yes. Uh, everybody had to have known before this movie's even starting that this is the movie where he's gonna die because there's just no yeah. way that they're gonna keep paying Robert Downey Jr. this kind of money. And I mean, Robert Downey Jr. is just getting older too, so he can't be Iron yeah. Man he forever. He gets tired. Yeah. yeah. You can't. You can't be a guy in his. 50s pretending to be a guy in his 30s you know like you know and you can't do that for fucking 10 years <laughs> mm-hmm. and you know like i felt like this yeah if you didn't know tony was gonna die you sure as shit got that feeling after this scene you know mm-hmm. and then uh in the meantime cap also has his own kind of moment of i wouldn't say closure but kind of like his own like his own internal moment where he actually got to see a younger Peggy Carter Mm -hmm. and he got to see 1970s Peggy Carter. And again, this is the woman that he loves. This is the love of his life. And this is the woman that he promised way back in the beginning of the entire infinity saga that he promised her, he was going to take her out to Paris to go dancing Mm -hmm. when, after they won the war a promise he was never ever fully able to fulfill. And I think so even suddenly, Peggy I think even Peggy was aware that it was something that he was not going to be able to come through with as well. It's what so, makes that moment such a big deal. So there's four, you know, this is huge foreshadowing for what happens later in the film. Um so luckily our heroes are able to get all the equipment and then they're able to come back to the back to the future pretty much. Mhm. However, in the meantime... Literally back to the future. Literally back to the future. But in the meantime, not everyone else is nearly being as lucky. We, you know, we fast forward to 2014. Nebula has been compromised because unwittingly, like you said, she gave Thanos all this information. And they're actually able to pinpoint her location and they're able to capture Nebula. And through some you know simple changes because nebula is essentially a cyborg through changing some pieces they're able to put in evil nebula and send her back to the future with um with a war machine so but the thing is one of the one of the things to note is that thanos saw exactly what he needed to see and he saw that he won and that strengthens his resolve and knows that he is close, you know, victory is close at hand. So that just makes him even that more tenacious and angry. In the meantime, we go back to, I believe this is Morag, where uh, the Red Skull is with the Soul Stone. We have that moment where um, Black Widow sacrifices herself in order to say, to, to, for in order for uh, Hawkeye to claim the Soul Stone from the Red Skull. A death that, much like everything else in this movie, did not really get a reaction out of my audience. And I can't say that it felt like that great a loss for me. Unfortunately, she seems like a character that has been... While she's been good and interesting, and I love her, uh, her... I love her friendship with Captain America from Winter Soldier on... Like, uh, she's just someone that doesn't really have much of a backstory in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, her death was 
just not that big a deal to me. And it's weird because isn't ScarJo still signed on to make more movies? I think so, yeah. So I'm like, curious to see so, just how they're going to get around that. So are they going to go back and are they going to do like the Captain Marvel treatment where they're just going to do stories from before she met up with the Avengers? But I guess this is where you can include the whole alternate realities, right? Mm-hmm. Because now that you fucked up the timeline, you stuck your dick in the timeline like you're Barry Allen. You created all these multiverse possibilities that things are happening. So I guess there can be a world where ScarJo is still alive. But, you know, that will be a discussion for later on. Um, so they end up getting the Soul Stone. They're able to come back. And the, when they all come back to present day, they're able to create a makeshift gauntlet using uh, Captain America. I mean, Captain America, sorry. Using Iron Man's nanobots from the Bleeding Edge armor. They're able to they're able to create this makeshift gauntlet that only the Hulk can use. Well, they have this moment to debate who is going to be the one to be able to snap everyone back into existence. Banner points out that the main radiation being given off by the infinity stones are gamma radiation. And Banner points out that this is, feels like this is what he was meant for. In the meantime, Nebula is a, a sneaks away from the rest of the group in the Avengers compound, and she's able to open a time machine or open up the time machine to bring Thanos and the, his entire army back to our timeline. So in the meantime, you know, Banner is able to snap his fingers and creates a storm, but nothing happens. And at that exact moment. Thanos unleashes an attack on the Avengers compound, destroying everything. And this takes us into our, our final battle of Endgame. Mm-hmm. Um, well, one thing before I get to before I get um, into the final battle, by going back to 2014, not only do we see 2014 Nebula, but this is actually pre. Gamora's death in Infinity War. So for those of you that will remember, Gamora was sacrificed by Thanos so that he can get the Soul Stone in Infinity War. So at this point, we are reintroduced to Gamora, who never went through Guardians of the Galaxy 1 or 2, and has no connection to anybody. The only person she has a connection to with is Nebula. And at this point... Gamora is starting to question, or not starting to, like she's definitely questioning her loyalty to Thanos. <laughs> I love when they go back and they see the scenes of Peter Quill, like, <laughs> like dancing, and uh, and and she like questions, you know, Gamora questions how she like ends up having any like, you know, relationship with him. <laughs> to which Nebula answers, "Well, it was either him or the tree." <laughs> <laughs> it was a great line. I really liked it. So, we get this awesome fight scene where Cap, Thor, and Iron Man have to essentially three-on-one fight Thanos. And this was freaking great. This is the Infinity War. This This is what I wanted 
from the final uh, thing in, you know, like the final episode or chapter of the Avengers series, I wanted one big war. And I will say this, for as much as I rail on Infinity War for being as not great as I would have liked and just incomplete feeling as it is, at least the buildup was worth it. It created that feeling. It created basically the story that had to lead us into this and gives us the moment where literally anyone that you can think of outside of the Fox properties or the Sony properties, um, all the other Marvel characters have come out. And everyone is there. uh, One of them is Howard the motherfucking duck. And I was, but <laughs> I saw that I was just so in love with this movie. <laughs> I was just like, okay, there is just no way that I am not gonna recommend this. And like, to I mean, everyone's gonna see it. No one needs my recommendation to go see it. It is yep. gonna be the biggest movie of the year. It's already breaking box office records, like in days. Uh, that that movies have you know had year long runs that that couldn't. They they couldn't catch up to this. Like this is the big event uh, movie to end all event movies. So this movie embraces all the goofiness and quirkiness and weirdness and awesomeness of the entire film. I mean the entire Marvel franchise. You know this movie is a love letter and it's a thank you letter to everyone that ever watched these movies. Anyone that ever acted, anyone that ever wrote, anyone that had anything to do with these movies. This is the 10-year payoff, and it fucking paid off. Now, before I get into the final battle, I really want to talk about the importance of of the the fight between the essentially Marvel's big three and Thanos. Because to me, this is what that fight in Dawn of Justice was supposed to be between the, you know, the Trinity and, um, what's his name? Fuck. Why am I blanking? Doomsday. (laughs) But it was very, and it fell flat, right? Mm -hmm. Now, the reason why this is important is because Thor, Iron Man, and Captain America, you can't have the Avengers without all, or at least one of those three guys. They are all central to the, the, the lore that is the Avengers. And, you know, like, I remember even playing, uh, I think it was Marvel Ultimate Alliance as a kid, there's actually a team buff when you have those three guys plus Black Panther because they're the classic Avengers. They're the OG roster, you know? Well, besides and, just the fact that they're the original Avengers, like, you have history with these movies now. Like, this yeah. is a series that has been ongoing for a decade. And, you know, it, it is now reaching its conclusion. And much like a television series that you've been watching yeah. religiously for a long time, these moments matter because you've had time with these characters. And that is something that DC has not figured out. And that's yeah. why their films failed. And maybe their new approach to doing one-off movies is going to be the right way to go. It certainly seems Just like a better fun. thing to me. Don't try to beat Marvel at Marvel's game because yeah. they are the gold standard. Uh, and there's no point in trying to argue with that. Um, I Yeah, again, this is, this is everything that those movies on the DC side have tried to emulate, but it's so obviously trying to copy it 
that it's just not as good as the original. And this movie is telling you, we're the, you know what this reminds me of? It's telling you, we started this superhero shit. <laughs> Do you know who I am? <laughs> yeah. I'm Kevin Durant. No, I'm just but it's like, it's Marvel saying, don't you know who I am? I'm Marvel. Yeah. And I, I love that it come, it boils back down to these three fighting Thanos because the first time these three are all on 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 camera together or all in the same scene together, they're fighting. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you remember in way back in the first yep. Avengers, sure it's when do. they're when, when Thor they were doing goes Shakespeare and, in the park. <laughs> well, when they yeah, like Thor goes back and he rips Loki out of the out of the Quinjet, and then Iron Man goes after him and then Cap's like, oh, well, I have to go too. And they're like, what are you going to do? And he goes, oh, well, I, someone's going to stop him. And he just, like, jumps out of the Quinjet after him. And they, you know, they have this fight over who gets to bring Loki in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it was just so, it, it, it's, again, it's everything coming full circle. And then to have that scene where Cap is able to lift Mjolnir and use Thor's hammer to fight against um to be able to fight against Thanos something that wasn't supposed to happen that he's just a mortal but the mm-hmm. fact that the the hammer thinks he's he's uh worthy worthy of it and you're just like oh my god dude this is this is epic he is and now the like genius. i said this movie is he is now the leader of the avengers i yeah. will say that i was very shocked of all the non reactions in my theater I was very non like I was very surprised that Avengers Assemble didn't get a round of applause in my theater. My, my th- it wasn't until these final like twenty minutes that I think my theater started popping. Yeah, they I didn't. For, I didn't even get that. <laughs> they, they popped for Captain America using the uh, using the hammer. They popped for Avengers Assemble. They pop for uh, the ladies of Marvel. Like they, this is when they started really, like, really, like there was life in the theater, right? Um, but I love that this entire these last twenty minutes of the movie is just fan service, and I'm totally fucking cool with it. Like I love that the when the heroes come back, it, you know, the the first person you hear is Falcon, and I love that the first thing he said to Captain America, or I'm sorry, it was uh, it was what Captain America, the first thing Captain America said to him in Winter Soldier was on your left. Mm-hmm. And then how does he announce that he's back? He tells Cap on your left. And the portals open up and he comes flying out. And then, you know, the and then Black Panther, Shuri, and Okoye come out. And then, you know, all the, the armies of Wakanda come out. Mbaku is in there. Mbaku's there, the Asgardians come out, like, the Ravagers come out, the Guardians of the Galaxy return, everyone that got dusted comes back, my baby boy Spider-Man comes back, and I was just like, holy shit, this is fucking great, this is what I fucking fanboyed out, (laughs) and everyone gets their their moment to shine, right? This moment broke my cold, dead heart for Marvel. Because I when, was I was fully on board at this you know final climactic scene, 
<laughs> great. A kid, huh? This this movie just does it. It, it. it it subverted all of my expectations. I went into it with the most negative attitude that you could possibly imagine, ex- fully expecting to hate this, and I couldn't. I just loved it. from the middle of the movie to where you find out about the heist to this end battle to how they decide to wrap everything up. It's perfect. Yeah. It is a perfect bow on this 10 year arc. Mm-hmm. We get, we get Iron Man reuniting with Spider-Man and uh, that, that moment I teared up a little bit. Didn't do that, much I, for me. Unfortunately, like, the the Peter Parker disintegrating scene did a lot for me, but him showing mm-hmm. up again, I, I don't know what it was. It just it just did not hit me no, in the same way. What got me was that Iron Man didn't say a thing, and in the middle of a battle, he just dropped what he was doing and he hugged Peter, and Peter was doing the exact thing you were talking about, where he was talking like a kid, where he was just like, and 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 then and then the Doctor Strange was there. And then we were we were in space, and then he told me that you needed our help, and then we came through the portal, and then he was like, "Come here, you little idiot." Like, yeah, well, what's kind of sweet about it is that in Homecoming, you know, Iron Man is in that movie, and he kind of just keeps Peter at an arm's at an arm's length, right? And he just doesn't really look like he's even that interested in him. Like, to the point where you're almost like, wow, did he just use this guy in Civil War because he needed him? And then just, like, completely decide to abandon him, (laughs) period, after this? But this is the movie where you find out that, yeah, it's like, it's... Peter Parker is probably the person who made him want to become a parent. Which actually made me laugh because it reminded me of the uh, of the line uh, that Jake Johnson had in Into the Spider Verse, where he goes, uh, "He's like, do, do I want to be kids? a dad? Yeah, do I want to be kids? <laughs> kids?" That's exactly what I feel like Peter Parker in the MCU has done for uh, Robert Downey's Iron Man. <laughs> I think that's what Peter Parker has done to everybody. <laughs> Everyone wants kids now. All right, so now Doctor Strange practically reveals that we are now in the one chance that they have of defeating Thanos out of the however many, you know, where he gave him the odds. 14 million. Uh, Exactly. And, uh, you know, which what this means is that uh, Thanos gets, you know, his infinity gauntlet that they are all basically playing catch with. I did love the Spider-Man scene <laughs> where Peter well, he's Parker... He's like, running, keep, like, keep away with it? Well, yeah, but the funny thing, too, is that before he, like, grows the arms and he starts, like, running, crawling around with all the different legs, he goes into instant kill mode. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> which, if you watch Homecoming, like, it's... He's, like, in... He's, like, basically, like, trapped somewhere. Like, barely, like, kind of getting to know his suit. <laughs> Yeah, and he, I don't know. He's somehow by accident he triggers it where it goes instant kill, and it looked like he was about to like murder someone that he was chasing after. So, <laughs> so it like you know he immediately cancels the instant kill mode, and it was just nice to finally find out what it does. <laughs> and it instantly kills things. <laughs> um. So yeah. So they are all basically playing catch. Uh, T'Challa and Spider Man and. Then after Captain Marvel re- returns, who I had, God, I had totally forgotten about Captain Marvel. Yeah. <laughs> In this entire yes, time that yes, she was you gone. Did. And I did too. <laughs> yeah. 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 Which is so fine, right? Like, this is that, not her movie. And, uh, oh, no. and 
she's and I really do want to watch the Captain Marvel film because it is I think the only MCU film that I missed going into this one. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, it I think for for the purpose of this story, don't overload it with too many characters. I it just because I feel like that's one of the things that failed about Infinity War is that it was just trying to focus on way too many characters. And it yeah. didn't really make it feel like I. It didn't really make me feel like I cared about any of them much at all. Whereas this one has just yeah. focused on all the right characters, made you care about all the right characters, uh, took the focus off of people who were come off looking worse in that movie, like Star Lord, and put the focus on other characters that you can start liking more. I hate you. I still defend Star Lord in Infinity War, and I always will. Well, <laughs> but that's good, neither here nor there. Well, good luck to you, sir. Uh, that's neither here nor there. But right this now. is the scene where Tony Stark finally dies, and uh, you know he gets that other last moment with Peter Parker. This is where I did hear audible um, sobbing, weeping, and uncontrollable sobbing. feminine weeping, mostly from me. <laughs> no, it was just like yeah, I just like heard people crying, and it was like quietly but crying, but crying, and it was the most. Uh, reaction i think i had gotten um outside of you know the laughter and a few scenes here and there it didn't again this is one of those things that it just i don't know what it was it just it just didn't hit me at the right time and it's not because i'm it's not because i don't cry at stuff like i cry at so much stuff that it's almost like a running joke where all my friends make fun of me now about it that i just cry for stuff Honestly, I'm actually surprised when you're not crying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just, but you know, not. But that doesn't mean that I think it's a terrible scene. It's just, it's just whatever. It, it just hit didn't you. hit the spot. Yeah, it didn't trigger that. Yeah. So, but you um, know what? What got me in this scene that I fucking loved was going again, bringing back the ending to the, the bringing the, up the fact that this is the end game. Is that when Thanos says I'm inevitable and tries to do the the, the Infinity Snap? And it doesn't work. And then you have the big reveal that Iron Man had the gauntlet in his armor the entire time. Oh, right. He ends, his last words are, I am Iron Man. Mm -hmm. Which is the way he announced himself way back in 2008. It's perfect. It begun with Iron Man, so so it has to end with Iron Man. Yep. He's the whole reason the Avengers got together. He was the one that showed the world that there's people that have like powers and they're capable of doing these incredible things and he finally did it you know everything he's been doing for the last seven well at this point 12 years has been to stop thanos and he finally did it and he finally got to complete his mission and it cost him everything but you know he left a better world for his daughter at least that's the hope right and I love when they every when all of Thanos' armies get dusted and that he's the last one and he's just like he's just has this look of disbelief on his face because now it's like the same feeling that Tony had at the beginning is what Thanos is experiencing for that one moment, you know. So, this takes us into the essentially what is the epilogue, right? Mhm. So all our heroes return, but, well, not all of our heroes. Unfortunately, Black Widow passed away. Tony Stark has this moment where, you know, at his funeral, where essentially the entire, like, Avengers team from Infinity War was there. 
including the Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, um, you know, the Avengers, Spider-Man, the Ant-Man Wasp and his family are there. Um, you know, the, the, the Black Panther and Wakandan royalty, essentially. Um, even the kid from Iron Man 3 that helped Tony, like, you know, remember who he is, right? Yeah, which I only understood because of the internet. <laughs> I only understood that because I'm like, why is that kid there? And uh, mind you, I've never seen Iron Man 3, but I do remember there was a kid that was involved with it. And I was like, that was probably the kid from Iron Man 3. And then I look it up, I'm like, oh, look, I was right. <laughs> you know, Captain Marvel's there, Nick Fury's there, Maria Hill's there, everyone. Like, everyone that ever, you know, was everyone that was essentially brought together because of Iron Man was there. Mm-hmm. And it was a really good send-off. You know, it was a really beautiful moment to for the character and for, you know, all the and these actors, you know. Like, it was definitely an emotional goodbye. And this is the end of Dark Knight Rises moment for me, where now you're mm-hmm. starting to see the world that he has left behind, right? He has uh, yeah. now left Happy Hogan and Pepper Potts to kind of become a surrogate family to raise, you know, his daughter. Um, he's left Peter to have a life again, which... The one thing that I'm actually very confused about, and I need the next Spider-Man movie, Far From Home, I needed to answer this question for me, is if Peter Parker's been gone for five years and now is all of a sudden back, why is Ned, why are he and his friend Ned still in fucking high school? Well, Ned probably got dusted too. I guess, but then, yeah, this movie's going to have to explain it, because it's also going to have to explain why why Flash is in the the second Spider-Man film, and why MJ is there, and are they the same age? Did everyone in his school get dusted? Like, it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, whatever, I'm not going to get too hung up on it, I'm going to hope that a future movie explains it. But, uh, besides... What I I personally think is, I think uh, Far From Home just takes place right before Infinity War. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's just me. I mean, you know, like, Captain Marvel kind of establishes that thing that they can do these time jumps, and it kind of works. So, that, I don't know, that's just what I think they're going to do with it. But, you know, that's not here nor there. <laughs> right. And then, uh, so Thor basically hands new Asgard over to Valkyrie. Um yeah. And he decides that he's going to be joining the Guardians of the Galaxy now, who are basically uh, going to—he's joining the As Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> and I, it looks like the next film is just going to be them trying to find uh, Gamora, who is now in the present. Yeah, and then you have probably the the best moment, in, at least to me, my favorite moment in the entire entirety of the marvel extended universe is captain america goes back to he he's the one that elects himself to go back in time to return all the infinity stones to their proper place on the timeline and when he's set to come back captain i mean hulk tries to bring him back within five seconds but he never comes back and when bucky starts to freak out 
Sam Wilson sees an elderly man sitting at a park bench across the way. And when he goes up and talks to him, he realizes that this is an aged Captain America. And he asks him what happened. And Steve explains that before he went and returned the stones, but instead of going back to his normal timeline, he actually went back in time to meet up with Peggy after World War II. And taking Tony's advice of being able to move on, he was able to finally live that life that he never could, that life that was taken away from him, because at the end of the day, he's Captain America. And he was going to do what he needed to do, right? He was going to be the hero that this country needed. But he knew what was going to happen. He knew that he couldn't affect the timeline by going back in time. So he got to live those 60, 70, 80 years with Peggy. And he has this amazing passing of the torch moment where he's he gets the, the shield, a reconstructed shield, um, because the, the original Captain America shield was destroyed in his fight against Thanos. And he actually hands it to Sam. And Sam does not want to take the shield at all. But he's essentially accepting that responsibility of becoming the new Captain America from, uh, from Steve Rogers. And the film ends with this wonderful scene of Steve finally fulfilling his promise and being able to take Peggy dancing. And roll credits. That's how Endgame finishes. <laughs> yeah. And even though my theater didn't applaud, uh, it, it's just, it, it is a crowd-pleasing ending. It is a perfect yep. ending to this, uh, you know, like I said, decade-long ongoing story. Um, it feels like the ending of a satisfying television show that you're grateful that you stuck around to watch. And again, Marvel deserves all the credit in the world for doing that. They put together a universe that is, that had, you know, that had a ton of different connections. And this was the movie where you find out why everything had to be so closely connected and it just fit together in such a tight package that you just don't get that. And one of the things that I appreciated the most about Avengers is that I never seen a movie that could, you know, juggle as many balls successfully as that mm-hmm. film did. And I think this one does the same thing. It is the best Avengers movie since the first one. Um, I don't know how many times I'm going to watch it because of how long it is. But, you know, maybe I will watch it again. I'll definitely, you know, be more game to watch it than than a lot of the all... In a lot of the other, you know, MCU movies that that I have mentioned that are not exactly my favorite, um, <clears throat> but I'm just I'll, I'll I'll probably own it and then watch it in the comfort of my own home. I probably wouldn't go back to the movie yeah. theater to watch it. Um, oh God! But I, I, you know, I, I'm very glad that we decided to do this review and go through this. I think it was useful for me to work out the feelings that I had <laughs> for this entire cinematic universe. And I, think, <laughs> and I also think, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's probably been one of our best discussions that we've ever had over a movie before. 
it's so in depth and there's so much to do. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I, that, this is going to be held for you to uh, edit because if I'm not like... editing this, this is going out as is. I think, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm legitimate. I think this is probably one of the best conversations that we've had uh, over a movie on this show. It's just like, there's so much to like sink your teeth into, right? Like there is so, and it feels like, you know, it feels like there's no way you can, you can completely talk about this movie without, without it being, like you said, an hours long conversation. You know, everything was brought back. Things that I didn't even know were important were brought back and Mm -hmm. things that I had no connection to, but I felt were important. Like, you know, Thor being able to meet his mom from back in Dark World. I never saw that movie, but right off the bat, I'm like, this is an important scene. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it felt like there nothing was wasted. Everything served a purpose. It felt like the final battle was exactly what it needed to be, was just fan service, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that if you were along for the ride since 2008... You goddamn deserve that fan service. Mm-hmm. So, do we like this movie? Angel, would you like to start off with, you know, would you like to atone for your sins against Marvel? <laughs> yes, I like this movie. This movie, like I said, it thawed my cold heart. And, uh, and I definitely am glad that I decided to watch it. I'm glad that I didn't let my disdain for the hype around this movie uh, ruined my experience watching it. Mm-hmm. I also am very grateful the fact that I did watch it in a theater full of people who did not do all those things that I don't like that people do in these kinds of movies. <laughs> it, just, it, it definitely just left a positive impression on me. Um, and again, it, I, I cannot say anything else that I haven't already said on this show. Um mm-hmm. And everyone's already seen it, you know. I think everyone is really just tuning in to to hear what we thought of the movie overall. I I don't think anybody's seriously going to think that we're both going to walk out of this conversation saying that we don't like this. You know, like, there was things in this movie I didn't like. Oh, for sure. But overall, I like this movie. And I'm I'm going to... I need to point out the shit I didn't like. I felt that... Captain Marvel did not need to be in this movie. I felt Captain Marvel didn't need to be in Phase 3 at all, truth be told. And that's going to be controversial probably to some people that like the Captain Marvel movie. Me personally, I haven't seen it. But from my understanding of it, you know, it takes place in the past. And it serves as a vehicle but to, you know, introduce her right before um, Endgame. The problem is that the main complaint I've heard is that you are one movie wasn't enough to make people like Carol Danvers. And the way the movie was done, it just felt very rushed. And although there was a lot of charisma in, you know, on screen from a lot of characters, there wasn't enough for Carol Danvers to be the person that's going to spearhead the next phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And if that's the person you're going to hang your hat on, you know, you're going to have to find some more movies to build this person up to be a better hero. Because I was totally ready for Captain Marvel to be the Thanos puncher and to come in and fuck up Thanos. Mm -hmm. She maybe fought Thanos once the entire movie. 
And again, like, <clears throat> she's such an overpowered character, like, you have to write her off, and I'm not complaining about that. But my thing is, if you're going to have a character like that and not serve the purpose they were supposed to, it's like, what's the point of even having that character in the movie? So, me personally, I would have preferred for Captain Marvel to be in the next phase of the Avengers, be the first movie to spearhead that, and really give fans a chance to really warm up to the fact that this character is going to be in the Marvel Universe. Or you introduce Captain Marvel in this movie at the end, you know, and have this, you know, you find a way to bring them in that way. Um, But honestly, if you're just going to have Captain Marvel come in and try to subdue Thanos... I would have preferred for the Hulk to have that, especially after the Hulk got bodied by Thanos in Infinity War. I would have much preferred him to see to see him have that moment where he kind of loses his fear of Thanos and is able to fight him, even for a second, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my first big gripe with the movie. My second big gripe is time travel. You got you. you, The moment you always introduce time travel into the movie, you're always gonna have uh, problems, right? You're always gonna open yourself up to a bunch of weird stuff. Um, I felt that it was just. Then honestly, this is just me being nitpicky. (laughs) Yeah, like to me, the time travel in this movie is basically the synchronizer machine in Exorcist Two. It, yeah, like it it's, is something, it's something that so clearly is not in reality, but because yeah. it's just the premise of this movie, and and also for this movie, it's just rewarded you in such a way that I'm just I don't get hung up on the details like that for some. Well, let, let, let me put it this way: I love and hate time travel in movies. I love and hate time travel in this movie. I love it because it embraces the whole goofiness and weirdness and comic bookness of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it takes all these goofy, crazy plots, and it's able to kind of... Like, time travel is such a comic book thing to do. Let's send these heroes back in time, or send them forward in time, or do all this crazy shit with time. So I I love it in that sense. I just hate it because it always opens up to this weird, um, logical problems of understanding but also that's because people are nitpicky i feel like i have to be nitpicky because overall this is a damn near perfect superhero movie and not only that it's a damn near perfect like saga it's the ending of a of 10 years in the making and i can't say that enough i'm pretty sure i already said that like 10 times in this in this podcast episode alone so you know that being said there's so much to love here between like between the epic Lord of the Rings-esque final battle between, like, these characters that were put, like, front and center, like Nebula and Ant-Man, that really stood out. Nebula stole the show for me. She was such a great character. She killed herself. Like, she killed evil, her evil version of herself, like a fucking G. It was so cool. It was like, yeah, hands down, I love this movie. And I can't wait to watch it, or I can't wait to own it so I can watch it again at home. (laughs) So, like I said before, I I think this, again, I've thoroughly enjoyed having this conversation going over this movie. Um, I hope everyone who will be listening to this show or has listened to this episode uh, has enjoyed the conversation that we've had over it as well. Um, 
this is it for you know Marvel comic books for a while in terms of like you know team up movies. I think this is this is gonna be we're gonna get a break from superhero team ups. I think after this, um, in terms of in in films that are coming and also just on this podcast. Um, but this was not be this is not gonna be the only episode that we release this week. Everyone already knows that the Do We Like Star Wars subseries will begin uh, this weekend with our review of Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace. <laughs> help me! <laughs> which, Send help, please. <laughs> which I have to ask the question: Is is the Phantom Menace actually supposed to be? You know, the guy who ends up becoming the emperor in Star Wars lore? Or is it Jar Jar Binks? <laughs> and we will answer that question on our Star Wars episode uh, one review that comes out this weekend. So, Oh my god, we will try. <laughs> I started watching the movie today and I've been bitching at Angel for like an hour about how much I hate Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> So thanks for joining us for this episode. Please continue to uh, review the show on the you know, either pod, either Podbean or on the iTunes uh, Apple Podcast app. Uh, please continue to interact with us on social media. Uh, I hope everyone's going to enjoy this Star Wars series that we're about to embark on. I know I'm very excited to get it started. And uh, I, I think we are stepping... Honestly, I think much like <laughs> some of the movies, movies that we've been reviewing, like uh, Star Wars coming up this weekend and Avengers now, we are now stepping into a larger universe in terms of the kinds of stuff that we're going to be going through. And I think I'm very excited for, you know, the kind of content that we're going to be releasing for the remainder of this year. So uh, just thanks for staying with us. And, uh, you know, I'm, I can't wait. I can't wait to have our next discussion here. <laughs> I know, like I'm I'm actually really excited to get started on such a I'm I'm really excited to start a sub series from beginning to what is gonna be the end. You exactly. know what I'm saying? Like this is the first time we've done something like this and this is probably gonna be the most committed we're gonna be. I mean we're dedicating two episodes a month to Star Wars, you know, and we, we, as you guys know, we've been trying to be a little bit more regular with how much content we put out. So that's quite a commitment to be to plan out two episodes a month for the next like, what five months? Mm-hmm. No, more, right? Like yeah, seven more. months? Yeah, yeah, we're talking seven, eight months. So yeah, well, you know, we're both looking forward to it. We're really excited. Again, please continue to make suggestions. Interact with us on Do We Like Movies Pod on our Instagram. Uh, if you have any suggestions to fill out those other two weeks with, to put out content, please feel free. Angel and I, like I told Angel, I made a joke about it, how, uh, you know, we need the mainstream stuff to stay relevant, but uh, we also want to stay true to our artistic vision of reviewing stupid movies that we like, like Tokyo Drift. <laughs> so, so until next time, uh, I'm Angel. And I'm Javi. So, later, turds.